Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Freight to the Point, a podcast by Zencargo. I'm Helena Wood and today I am joined by Katia Fernandez, the Head of Trade Lanes in the Ocean Team at Zencargo. We're so thrilled to have her here. Today we're going to be learning about Katia's origins, her experience in the ocean industry and how she envisages change in the supply chain. Welcome Katia. Thank you Helena. Right, let's get Freight to the Point. Why ocean? Tell us a little bit about how you started out in supply chain, Katia. I can only say I started, I think, the best way I could. I was introduced to ocean through the graduate program from Maersk, where we got a mix of theoretical and practical experience and learning. And I think that has helped to build that love for ocean that I have right now. Interestingly enough, we covered like the most we could in two years in terms of job roles, three job roles in two years. So you get experience across operations, commercial, customer service. And then on the theoretical side, they were very good to give us classes on subjects that covered uh, maritime law, liner trade, economics, terminal management. And uh, funny enough, that was either done by people from Copenhagen Business School but as well some employees from Maersk, and one of them you probably know about. He was um, our teacher, Lars Jensen, so he used to cover our material. We're big fans of Lars Jensen here at yes. Zencargo. So he did all of that for us in, in the line of trade subject, and I think it, it has helped a lot to, to grow that love I have for Ocean right now. Gosh, amazing. It's interesting because you're the second person who we've spoken to on this podcast. Laura O'Dell, who looks after air at Zencargo, had a, a similar route. She came in through an apprenticeship, so slightly less structured learning. But obviously that kind of graduate scheme and the structure of being able to get a really good taste for the industry sounds like such a good entry point. Yeah, I can only agree with that. It's, it just gives you that uh, level of detail that you wouldn't have in such a smaller amount of time as you have through an apprenticeship and the exposure to so many different roles and subjects that helps you get probably in two years what you would get in 10 <laughs> otherwise. So how many other people were on the, the graduate program with you? So after the year I joined, we were 405 from all over the world. So every single country in the world pretty much had someone joining from the different companies of the group. So it was not only Musk Line, it was APM Terminals, Damco Logistics. So you got a good mix of uh, people working in different places to also learn from them. So very good experience. Gosh, that must have been fascinating. Have you kept in touch with anyone from your intake? Definitely. We still, we still have our Facebook group. We still talk to each other. And uh, yeah, we just... Uh, some some people just remain forever and we all had a very similar profile as well, which I think it helped. Nice. And you must have had some fun together while you were on that grad scheme. Oh, yes. Cars Lunda. <laughs> that place in Copenhagen, near Copenhagen, where we used to meet every six months for training and not only learn a lot, but have so much fun together. It was, uh, yes, if you mention that to any easy trainee, they will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Feels all a bit secretive. It's almost like something I don't know about. So I'm going to leave it with you and anyone else who knows. Yeah, what happens in Carlsland just stays in Carlsland <laughs> in a good way. Any top stories from your experience you can tell us? Oh, in, I mean, we've had fantastic experiences while we were there. We They took us, for example, to see, at the time, the biggest vessel that uh, was being launched, the Emma Maersk, 
We were underneath the Ememusk while it was in dry dock, wearing only a helmet, which didn't feel like it would protect me much if the, mm. if the whole ship fell on top of us. But learning like that, going to terminals, seeing the actual operations happening and being exposed to going on a ship and actually stay aboard, work with the crew, work with the captain and see what actually happens when when a container is loaded and is taken from one port to the other. It's very interesting, I think. Gosh, what amazing sort of real life experience. Oh, definitely. And obviously, Katia, you said you, you held lots of different positions during your time at Maersk. So what was it that sort of pointed you in the, the direction of working through the pricing and procurement route? I think it's the fact that you work at the core of a company. So I've learned that without a very good product that you were able to place in the right price, you can't really have a product to sell for others to be able to do their job like sales or customer service. So I reckon being at the core of that department where you decide how you're going to develop that product, who you're going to place it uh, to and at what price creates that ability to create something very strategic. And that was something I learned from my early days in MERS, continued across other carriers that I've worked as well and has transferred into Zen Cargo. It's, it's basically you're at the center of how we can grow and what we can actually sell for the customers. So it's, it's just very interesting and complex. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, you're, you're so right here at Zen Cargo. We, we couldn't do almost anything of what we do without working so closely with you and your, your peers and that pricing and procurement team who are working directly with the carriers and, and sort of sorting out the space and rates. Do you mind for anyone who's on the podcast who maybe doesn't really understand what it is that you actually do at Zen Cargo, Katia, could you give us a, a sort of idiot's guide to, to the team and your role? Yeah, so we basically make sure that we have the best product the customer can use. So we look for products that have a competitive rates so that they minimize their costs. But we also look at products that fit their needs in terms of space and their needs in terms of transit time so that we can deliver the best dwell times they can have and they can make sure they will have their stock on time when they need it by using our options, basically. So we work a lot, like you said, with the carriers, developing those relationships to find and solve issues that occur, which are very common in shipping. So we, we have that backup and that good relationship with, with our partners to solve those issues for our customers. And I think that's, that's what uh, allows us to, to get more volumes from them and grow their confidence in our product, basically. And it's interesting because you mentioned a few things there, which I think are so important to unpack. The first of which is it's become so clear to me over my time at Zencargo, working with you and your team, how just how focused you are on the customer at the heart of all of that. Because of course, securing the rate, securing the space is only one thing, but making sure that we are able to actually deliver our customer outcomes. You, for example, spoke about dwell times and really ensuring that we minimize dwell for our customers. You know, can you tell us a bit more about the complexity of making decisions and building relationships when you're focused on not only the cheapest rate or the the best guarantee of space, but really of making sure it's the best match for the customer? So it's like a balancing act. We take several variables into consideration when we're making a decision into 
how our strategy will look like from a procurement point of view. Understanding the impact that, for example, transit times or ease of booking confirmations have on customers' dwell times is one of the variables we consider. So we take that into consideration with uh, rates, with space. It's it's a mix. It's a service mix of, of different things. And I think that then creates the best possible option for, for that customer, ensuring that it's in line with their profile of what they need. And I think it's not a one-size-fits-all in Zen Cargo. It's a very much created for that customer need that we, we kind of developed the strategy along. So I can only say it's, it's multiple variables working together under which through the knowledge we have of the market and the, the good relationships we have with our suppliers allow us to build these good options for each customer. And, and I suppose also it's, it's interesting because you talk about relationships, you talk about trust, you talk about customer centricity, but you also started all of this by saying it's a very complex job. And, and I can only imagine that actually for you and your role and for your team, the way in which San Cargo works and thinks about about all of these outcomes, you know, it, it calls on so much expertise. So can you tell us, I suppose, for you, for the team that you work with, what are the skill sets that help someone do that really well? Oh, <laughs> I think the most important thing is you have to be constantly switched on on what's going on. So we have ways of working that allow that to happen. So you're in constant contact with uh, partners at Origin, but we also have our own tools to to understand what's happening in the market from, from a space point of view, congestion point of view, price point of view. And that allows us to be able to map the different avenues of strategy we can, we can do for a specific case, basically. I think being switched on proactive so that you anticipate what can go wrong and plan ahead based on that is one of the things that makes us successful at what we do and i think it's that ability i don't i don't know how you can translate being switched on as a skill but it's it's the way i name it it's like being able to look at something based on your experience and anticipate what can go wrong so that you can plan in advance that that would be the way i would translate it basically and i'm sure if i were to put my my marketing hat on i would tell you that it wouldn't be possible to be switched on and proactive if you didn't have good data and good visibility and good forecasting and enable to do you know enabling you to make those decisions and i suppose also you know we've not spoken about that this much on the on the podcast but zen cargo one of the things that we love in working with our team is we are a values driven organization so one of the values that we all share and we look for in anyone that joins our team is that we hope they're going to be outcome oriented. Mm-hmm. And I suppose something for you in being proactive and switched on is always having that outcome and the kind of in your sights and making sure that you're doing whatever you can to, to achieve that outcome for the business, but also really for our customers. Yeah, yeah. That That's the customer-centric outcome we try to focus all the time because, like I said, well time is an example, but price is another example. Ensuring they meet their sales is another example by having the containers there that they need to have uh, on that specific point of time. So outcome-oriented is definitely one of the values we we have in our team, just because of the, the, the essence of the role we do, definitely. 
And let's take a little bit of a turn, Katia. We have a question that we ask everyone who comes onto this podcast, and it's mm-hmm. to tell us about a ship happens moment in their career. Mm. So can you tell us, have you got a story that you tell friends at dinner parties or that's particularly memorable when ship happened in your career? Oh, yes. <laughs> I Actually, this one was in a, a local carrier that I used to work for in Portugal, And we decided that um, we wanted to expand our business in Africa, which we had already some presence, but we wanted to create some competitive advantage in different ports that were not being used by other carriers. So we went and explored (laughs) on site those locations. Well, I can tell you that Africa is not very well connected in terms of flights, especially if it's intra-country, like intra-Africa. So we decided to travel by car, (laughs) which (laughs) it was a very different experience. So we crossed the border between Gambia to Senegal and between Senegal to Guinea-Bissau. And I can tell you, I've never seen a reality like that where we are expecting things to work kind of in a similar way as Europe or even I when I worked in South America. But Africa is a totally different thing. I mean, you do business like we were having discussions with uh, partners where they didn't have an office on the port. They they had a motorbike and an iPad. That was their office and they managed business and business flourished. And I was astonished to see how little they have and how, how much they can do. And I, I always remember that because it was a huge learning that you can actually do business in the most basic conditions, as I've seen there. So I think and, and going through all of the different borders and not knowing what was going to happen and, and feeling that, oh, I might be in, get into trouble here. But we actually were very well received across the different borders, never had any issues. And when we explained what we were doing, people were very welcoming. So I think that was my moment I would always raise as something that was unique for sure. I was going to say that sounds like a very positive experience. Usually when someone tells us their ship happens experience, it might be something that's gone wrong that they've had to overcome. But, you know, that sounds like actually taking some challenging circumstances and really thriving in them and great that it was such a learning experience. It's yeah. eye-opening as well. Very eye-opening. I'm sure stuff has gone wrong though. <laughs> Give me a ship happens moment where something's actually gone wrong and you've had to overcome it. I doubt there's, I doubt the bank is completely <sighs> empty on that one, Katia. Oh, there must be. Well, already in Zencargo, when when the massive crush for space happened back in 2021, we were faced with severe <laughs> space shortages where we basically had to sit down and think. How are we going to solve this? What what plan are we going to put in place that allows us not being the biggest of the four orders in the market, competing with big international companies, succeed in delivering the space that the customers need? And um, we definitely managed to put together a plan of action that once we rolled it out, it brought results and we've shipped the volumes we needed for our customers by working in a very clever way with our suppliers. And I think I've seen moments at that point where I thought, there's no way we're going to solve this. And then by sitting together and managing to plan that accordingly, we managed to overcome a situation that was extremely difficult. So yes, and it was not just me, it was the whole team that came across and we've been 
we've been very proud of that. I think it was a very good result in the conditions we were in. Very good result. That's great to hear about that. That's a that's a really good example of just turning turning something around to, to have such a positive outcome. So Katia, let's think a little bit about everything you've been through, because this is a good example. You spoke about the space crunch, you know, at the end of 2021. So much has changed in the supply chain industry over the last two years. It's been ups and downs and all sorts of chaos. What would you say has been the most significant change since you started your career? Aside from the pandemic, which put everything upside down, I would say it's actually pre-pandemic. Well, just before the pandemic, carriers decided to organize themselves into alliances. And that was a way that at the time they found to make their existence sustainable. Basically, they managed to pull resources together in a way that they could control the supply of space and therefore the rates so that it was not a fight to the bottom, basically. So that meant they got access to markets that they wouldn't have unless they put Uh, fixed assets serving those markets. So it allowed them to grow revenue at a less expensive cost and then allow them to tackle um, issues when the demand drops. So for example, right at the beginning of the pandemic, when everyone went into lockdown and the volumes dropped massively, they activated that alliance to prove that it was a fantastic tool to control the prices not to crash totally by pulling out some some resources out, but in a way that it was coordinated, if you see what I mean. So there was not one player losing or while others won. Every everything was so coordinated that they mitigated any losses in that sense. So that made the industry become sustainable, it will probably continue after the pandemic ends and it will be a tool for them to be able to grow without having basically decreased their costs and their revenues to a level that would would basically mean they would close. So it's been the biggest change after the pandemic, which was, <laughs> as I mentioned, the one of the worst things that has happened in shipping from a point of view of disruption, basically. That's really interesting. And and when the, the alliances started to form, what role were you doing at that time? And, and did it change the work that you were doing or the way that you were working? So at that time, I was actually not in the container business. I was doing towage, which is a slightly different industry where container ships are our clients. So from that point of view, it didn't affect much what I did, unless you consider the fact that because the the shipping lines remained afloat, (laughs) they would still be there as customers of the industry I was in. But basically, I would say the biggest impact in there has been the fact that it allowed for companies to remain a trading and not close in difficult conditions. And in terms of the future of the industry, Katia, what changes do you envisage for the future? What you know, what would you like to see in terms of disruption of the space? Well, I honestly believe that this industry needs to grow sustainably. And I'm, what I mean by that is that it has to go the step above in terms of automation and visibility. It has to have that connection between different parties and and the systems of those parties so that you get full visibility of what's going on ahead of time. So 
I give you a very specific example or two specific examples. So containers, despite they are attracting carriers, websites, and so on, the majority of the containers in the world are not real-time tracked because they are just tracked as when they pass a milestone. But if they don't pass that milestone, you don't know where the container is, basically. So not having that visibility means a lot of containers end up missing. Customers that are affected with that don't know where their cargo is, cannot plan ahead. So if we were to make all containers tracked, that would allow for a level of visibility that doesn't exist today. But also imagine if that tracking would connect to, for example, a container that is loaded in China is immediately made available uh, for visibility to the port of destination in the UK at the moment it's loaded. So that would create a massive amount of information ahead of time that the port of Felixstowe, for example, could know what was coming, could plan their yard density, could plan their vessels, birthing plans ahead of time, instead of waiting for the last minute information that comes when the vessels are much closer to the port. So having that ease of access to information, I think it's what's going to make things be sustainable for the future and be like totally transparent for someone to be able to make plans ahead. And that was, I think, the best, in my opinion, the best thing that could happen to shipping. I think you're so right. And obviously, you know, we in Zencargo are part of that journey towards visibility and better tracking. But everything we see from the data, from the anecdotes we hear from our customers, from the experience and the work we do with carriers, better visibility, better data, better planning, better decisions, you know, everything's so interdependent on that journey towards improving the overall outcomes, not just for customers, but their consumers in turn. And then ultimately for things like the planet, if we want to think about sustainability. So it's, I think you're very right to come up with that sense of tracking and visibility as the sort of first domino that has to fall in that series of consequential events. I would say, Lena, that we are actually, we are actually proving that if you have access to to the level of detail that we can provide the customers, they can plan their supply chains ahead of time and minimize their costs and enhance their revenues. So it's it's in essence the proof is there. If we can do it at, at this level, then imagine if the whole of the shipping world could do it at that level and everyone was interconnected and we could then make the best decisions based on that information. So Yes, I think we are in the right track. We just need the rest of the industry to then move to that level. <laughs> well, we talk a lot about uh, a world with smarter trade here at Zencargo. I think you've pretty succinctly explained what that might look like. Now, Katia, before we get onto our quick fire questions, which I know you're a bit anxious about them coming up, I've got one final thing I'd love to, to ask if you want to talk about, which is you've had a fantastic career, loads of amazing exposure, lots of great experience. Something I'm so moved by when I hear people talking about supply chain and talking about their journeys is just how human much of this industry is, never mind all the logistics, never mind all the heavy vessels, the moving goods. But is there anyone that's impacted your journey that you would particularly like to call out and thank or or to show some appreciation for in this sort of public forum? Oh, (laughs) I've had the chance to work with so many amazing peers and managers that have helped me grow professionally, but also tackle things differently. 
I learned a lot right at the beginning from one of my colleagues. Her name is Claudia, and she she was my peer in, in Madrid when I was working in Lima Trade. And she basically taught me to look at things in a very human way and always not assume things as you look at them. So you always question stuff and you always think about maybe it's something different than what they're saying or what you're understanding. So don't make initial judgments that can then harm your relationship with the person. And I think that was a huge learning because it has helped me to put forward things that you might not understand in a way that is not a critical bad way, but like a learning way and a way that you're questioning because you, you're truly just wanting to know. And, and that has helped people become welcoming of the way you approach them. And, and they don't, you know, humans are humans. They, if, if, if you become too critical to them, they might backfire a bit and not want to then help or go move towards the same goal. So that has been a huge learning and has helped me a lot throughout uh, my career, for sure. Sounds like some really great advice. Well, I hopefully Claudia from Madrid is listening. Maybe she's not in Madrid anymore. Who knows? And she, she's able to hear that appreciation. <laughs> no, she's in Barcelona. Well, hopefully Claudia in Barcelona <laughs> is listening. Great. Katia, sit tight, sit comfortably. It's time for our quick fire questions. I'm ready. So question number one. If you were to give any advice to someone on looking at their supply chain right now, would you recommend that they were focused on agility or resilience? Agility. Perfect. And if I say so, it's because you want to make sure you don't miss your revenues in a market that is moving so fast. So agility to make sure you are there with your stock when you need to be, basically. What supply chain job would you love to try out for a day if you could choose from anything? I would love to be on the warehouse because it's something I've never witnessed, how the operations inside a warehouse actually function. So I've been so much into the shipping side that I kind of feel interested in learning about that side. Perfect. And just one more. Can you sum up for us the ocean market in three words? God. <laughs> That's two. <laughs> no, you can start again. <laughs> Three words, the ocean marketing, three words. I would say very congested <laughs> market, I would put it. I don't know if it's the best three words I could think of. Great. Well, Katia, you can breathe comfortably. That's you done with your quick fire questions. Thank you so much, Katia. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show and talking to you today. Thank you, Elena. And I hope to have the chance to participate again. We'd love to have you back at some point in the future. And thank you also to our audience for tuning into this episode. If anyone has any questions or feedback, please feel free to contact us on LinkedIn. Katia, I'm sure would love to answer any questions, but but as would I, we, we love to hear from you. So please do keep in touch. But for now, goodbye. <laughs>